Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the web, the podcast that collectively, collectively this week, with the three of us on here, with all of us trying really hard, could still not bring ourselves to go to the cinema and watch Morbius. So, <laughs> <laughs> my name is Tosin, I am your host, up in the Midlands in, in the UK, and uh, joining me as always on the Isle of Wight is Sharon Bollen. Hello. And joining us from London is our London correspondent, Holly Nesling. Hi. Hello. So, all right. Now, we have just had, we've come off a WhatsApp group. This has been a week in the cinema where there weren't that many slim pickings. I think uh, when it came to films that were new that we hadn't reviewed on the show, I think we pretty much only had two options. Like, uh, from what I could say, we pretty much had two options, which is Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Morbius. Now, we've just come off a WhatsApp conversation where we've all kind of gone, well, the two of you have, have pretty much gone, yeah, well, I haven't seen anything this week, but I'll go see Morbius next week if there's nothing else on. It's <laughs> pretty much what you guys have said. Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like there are stories because I have a story of how I did not see Morbius this week. And that is, it, and I think for a film that we didn't review that we haven't watched, we're going to be talking a lot about Morbius this week because I was sat down there. I usually go and play tennis on a Tuesday night and then I finish tennis around about 830 and I find whatever film is starting as close to 8.30 as possible, then I, so I can go see it. I've figured out that there's half an hour of adverts now in cinemas. So I, if they say 8.30, I can get there at 9. And at most, I'll miss two minutes at the beginning of the film. Which, depending on the film, I'm fine with. Because if it means I don't have to sit, if it means I can play a bit more tennis, I don't have to go that. So I look at that and I look at Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is starting at 8.15. It says 8.15, so it's a bit tight. If I leave at 8.30, I'm probably going to miss a little bit more. Morbius is starting at like 8.40, so Morbius is a lot more, is a lot more well-placed for me. And my finger hovered over the Morbius button, like buy the ticket for Morbius. And I just went, no, I just can't be bothered. No, uh, no, I refuse. <laughs> My body had a visceral reaction to not buying a Morbius ticket because I was like, it's just going to be rubbish. I know what that film is going to be like already. Nothing I've seen about that film makes me good. This whole idea of Sony trying to make Marvel films without Marvel's permission because there's a legal thing. And and, and I am convinced that Sony without Marvel do not know what they are doing. So everything just made me go, no, I refuse. And I had this visceral reaction. I was like, no, I am not going to watch Morbius. I refuse to watch that film. Uh, Especially because on the poster, they have this tagline that goes, a new Marvel legend is born. And you can see exactly what they're trying to do. They are trying to draw you in using the goodwill that Marvel have have built up with all the good stuff that they've done with none of the good stuff that Sony have done. And they're trying to lure you in and trying to make you think um, for people who don't pay attention that this is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And everything about this just yells cynical to me and makes me and just adds up to me going, no, no, I refuse. I am not buying that ticket. But how about you? <laughs> what were your reasons for not seeing Morbius this week? <laughs> I think it's... I haven't checked the exact minutes, but does it, is this one of these what, run times of about two and a half hours? Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised. Nope. I, I wouldn't be surprised. To be honest with you, I am, I am more than happy to believe anything bad you say about this film. So, so if, you say, uh, if you say it has a run time of... Uh, one hour forty-four minutes. Oh, that's not too bad because I look at the run times and sometimes I think, you know what, I just don't want to give up two hours to watching that. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it was just um, 
I wasn't that bothered. And when my brother rang up to say, "Can we use your um, like meerkat code?" and yeah. I was like, "You know what? Just, you can use my cinema ticket as well for tonight. I'll buy you a ticket." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Oh, I'll just buy you. I'll treat you. I'll buy you a ticket. What do you want to see?" <laughs> I was thinking, "Are you going to see Morbius? Because I could sort of steal your review." No, what, what did he go see? Ambulance. I just okay, said, right. I did warn him that it was like a bit going on at the beginning, and then like a two hour car chase. He said, Well, my son wants to watch it. So it's like, Well, fair enough. If he wants to watch it. <laughs> okay. And, and Holly, your, your I did not see Morbius, Morbius story. Incredibly busy this week. So I've not had a chance. I barely left the house. So that's part of it. But I then had a very, very long conversation with a friend today because I've got two days off work. Um, and we had a, a back and forth on our views about Jared Leto. Now, she <laughs> hates him with a passion and thinks that anything with him in it is just automatically going to be awful. I then realised that I find him so completely irrelevant that I can never remember when he's been in anything. No clue. I've absolutely no idea. She's having to remind me of things like, like Suicide Squad. I was like, oh, yes, he was rubbish in that, wasn't he? Um, but he just wipes from my mind. So I feel that possibly watching a film with him in it now is just going to end up disappearing. So I couldn't even provide a review then because I won't remember it. Yeah, I've got to admit that there, there is a little bit of that in there as well. There is a little bit. I mean, the last thing I saw him in on screen was The House of Gucci. And that led that left a really bad taste in my mouth. So it's it's yeah, I, I, yeah, I have to admit that there, I, there is there is a little bit of that where. I don't think I enjoy, I think him being in the film has become a turn off for me. I'm still trying to figure out exactly why, but him being in the film has become a turn off for me. And I remember watching him in a film recently where he was like creepy loner guy, but he seems to do a lot of creepy loner guy roles and I can't remember oh, the film. The the one with Denzel Washington. That's it. The one with Denzel Washington, the something things, the little things or something like little, that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, he was creepy learning guy, so that was the last thing I saw him in. Yeah, yeah, but it's well, um, and everything I'm. By the way, everything I'm saying, I know that this is terrible. I know <laughs> that I'm judging something without seeing it. I know I'm casting expressions on somebody's character. I am not proud of it, but that is the reality of what we have right now, and why I just have this. No, I am. A, I am not. I think if I had an unlimited card, if I had a limitless card, maybe. But now I'm in the days where I actually have to pay my own money to watch every single film. I'm. I'm like, no. Got to be more choosy. Yeah, you got to be more choosy. <laughs> Next week, I've just had a quick peek ahead. It's um the dumb dumb Dumbledore. The Fantastic Beast: The Secrets oh, of Dumbledore. That's it. I do want to see that. I'll probably go and watch it just because Mads is in it. Oh, oh yes, yes. Sharon with oh, wow. a Mads Mickelson theme. Oh, reasons. Yeah, Mads Mickelson. All right, so so I mean, okay, there was actually another film that was the bad guys, which I really did want to see, but they seem to be aiming that squarely at kids. It's an animation, and why do they keep doing this? All right, not just kids. Why do you save all the good stuff for kids? Not only kids want to see animation. Some of us forty-two year olds also want to see animation. I wanted to see the bad guys. It was only on at four o'clock in the afternoon. It's not fair. Anyway, rant over. <laughs> but. but the uh, choices this week are Morbius, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, 
and the bad guys and i was the only one who managed to make it to the cinema and i went to see sonic the hedgehog 2 so let us start there and i'll kick off with sonic the hedgehog 2 which is our sole entry from cinema this week because if you do not know what we do we usually go to the cinema see a couple of things rate them out of five stay at home see a couple of things rate them out of five and then figure out where our money has been better spent this week. Has it been better spent at the cinema or on our sofas at home watching Netflix and Friends? So, in the cinema, our sole representation this week, I think I think Netflix might win this week, um, <laughs> is Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Now, Sonic the Hedgehog, the first film, was one of those films that had a troubled production history. Where you may or may not remember, I think, Sharon, you stay off Twitter and things like that, so you might not have realized this. Holly, you might have realized when the first Sonic movie was released and the trailer was released, there was this massive uproar and everybody piling on, mainly because of the design of Sonic. So Sonic the Hedgehog is a beloved 1980s Sega video game and everybody... People love Sonic because he has a certain kind of look And they changed the look for the film And everybody went, what the? No! So much so that the director went on Twitter Says we've heard, we apologized And they went back and redesigned The entire character of Sonic before the film came out So with all that being done Everybody expected that Sonic the Hedgehog The first one was going to be a car crash That it was going to be lowest common denominator Pandering to the kids like, you know, really, really lame jokes, an excuse of a plot line to just try and get me from year to year, and it was just not... And it turned out to be quite a... It turned out to be quite a a family pleaser. I mean, Sonic the Hedgehog was one of the shot Because I remember it was released shortly before cinemas shut down because of the first lockdown. And everybody I know who's watched it has come out, came out going, that was... That was surprisingly good. That that oh man, it was it had everything going against it. It's based on a video game. Those films are usually never any good. It has like this troubled history where they had to sort of rush to redesign the main character months before the thing was really supposed to be in, in cinema. And it did one thing that I always do not like is where you take something that's a video game character or cartoon character and you try and take that character and then put them in the real world. So like when you do a Tom and Jerry movie, instead of just giving us the animated Tom and Jerry, you try and put Tom and Jerry in the real world. This has been done a couple of times. It never works. I don't know why they keep doing it. And they did that with Sonic. I was like, this is a cartoon character. He's a hedgehog who runs around at super speed, fights fights against a guy who flies in an egg spycraft, and you're trying to bring him into the real world. Why? But in spite of all that, Sonic the Hedgehog ended up being a very good film and the most fun Jim Carrey has been on screen for, for ages. So obviously, inevitably, you are going to have a sequel. And that's what we have now, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I regret to inform you that Sonic the Hedgehog 2 ends up being the film that you feared Sonic the Hedgehog 1 was going to be. <laughs> so it is... It is tired, it is lazy, it's kind of like the, the, the sort of spark of inventiveness that was in the first film has gone. It's as if like they, I feel like trying to redesign the, everything they went through in the first one, because I'm pretty sure it's Jeff Fowler, the same director. You have James Marsden coming back, you have Tika Sumter coming back, you have Jim Carrey coming back, and Jim Carrey is one of the few bright sparks in this film. But it's it feels like they were so tired out making the first one that the second one they just went, yeah, let's just do something, because... It has none of the stuff that you have. You still have Ben Schwartz, but you have now, you have Idris Elba. Oh my God. You have Idris Elba voicing a character called Knuckles, who is kind of like from the video games and he's kind of, he's an Enkida or something like that who punches things and he's stronger than Sonic. So he becomes like this bad guy against Sonic. And 
I remember once saying there was a summer where Idris Elba had three voice performances. He was in Zootropolis, he was in The Jungle Book, and there was one other one. Oh, and he was in Finding Dory. And I remember saying that, oh, his voiceover game was strong. And Idris Elba, I don't know what he's done in this, but he's done something weird to his voice. So he's doing something weird with his voice in this film. His voice performance as Knuckles is annoying it is just so annoying it just it's like it grates there's something about it and i don't know what it is it grates they have this tired thing where they go and they have a dance off in siberia that just made me go oh no oh no you're not you're oh no you're making this the film that i oh rubbish and there's a there's a scene in it where they through random rubbish plot reasons which they didn't really bother that much the first one had a really nice simple story this one they try and do a sort of like quest story where they end up in something that looks a bit like an Incan or Mayan or like ancient South American temple where Jim Carrey and Knuckles are running away from a whole bunch of booby traps and then this big massive boulder starts following them, like chasing them by going down a corridor. So you can imagine what you can imagine what you're thinking here. So there's this the big massive ball is following them round the, down a corridor in some sort of Incan slash Mayan temple and Jim Carrey says, I don't want to die like this, it's derivative. And that could be the tagline for this film. <laughs> it is derivative, and it is not derivative of good things. It is derivative of the worst base-level kids' TV that doesn't really have any inventiveness about it. And it was I, I was really, really, really disappointed. Really disappointed. I think I'd have to give Sonic the Hedgehog 2 a 2 out of 5. <laughs> Especially after they raised my my hopes so much in the first one. And anyway. So while I stew in my disappointment <laughs> while I while I stew in my disappointment, Sharon, would you like to tell us what it is that you have seen? Because we're gonna go from cinema because that's the only thing we have at cinema this week and go over to Netflix and Friends. So Sharon, what did you see this week? Well weekend? I've got a choice of two. So I I saw on Amazon Prime a film with Jeffrey Dean Morgan called The Postcard Killings. Mm-hmm. I believe it's based on a James Patterson novel. Yep. And then I watched the what is going to be the final season of The Last Kingdom on Netflix, based on a series of books by Bernard Cornwall. All right, okay. Seen, seen as I have been seeing the thumbnail for the postcard killings for at least two weeks, and I've looked at that and gone, that looks terrible, I have absolutely no interest in watching it whatsoever, I will go with The Last Kingdom, unless you would like to change my mind about the postcard killings. No, I could just give it a quick review. Um, of gruesome murders, a, yeah. a bereaved dad interfering. He's a policeman in America, so it seems he seems to think he has a right then to investigate crimes all over Europe. Um, there are these elaborately staged crimes um, that make no logical sense whatsoever. <laughs> so I'd give it a two. So that's the, the postcard things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's what I expected. I saw the I saw the poster and I thought yeah. this is Jeffrey Dean Morgan collecting a paycheck. So, <laughs> is rather good. Which, which uh, uh, people popped up in it and they're all wasted, really wasted. Yeah, I'm like I don't I don't blame him for that. I mean, get paid, man, get paid. But I don't need to watch it. So let's go to the Last Kingdom. Season. The Last Kingdom. Yeah. So this is I think season five, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly. It's based on a series of like twelve books by Bernard Cornwall. So it spans spans the whole lifetime of the character of you of Uhtred. So is he the hornblower guy? No. Okay. Cool. Never mind. He looks like him. Um, Alexander. No. 
Jermaine. No, no, no. I meant, I meant the the writer is Bernard Cornwell, the hornblower guy. He's the writer. Yeah, no, but he did hornblower. He wrote Sharp. Sharp. That was it. That's the one. That's the one. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry. So this is set at the end of the Saxon age, when the Dane law has just basically established itself in the north and the north east of Britain. And the Saxon kingdoms, initially under the first couple of seasons, it was under Alfred the Great, how he was like pushing back that sort of the Viking invasion and how, but then the Dane law has been established and are they trying to unite the, the British, the, the, uh, the Saxon kingdoms against this sort of the threat of the Vikings. So you've got Wessex in the south, you've then got Mercia and then you've got Northumbria who are the big, and then you've got the other kingdoms, but they're the big three who are sort of have the, the largest land mass who basically come up against the Vikings the most. And Uhtred is one of these ubiquitous characters who manages to be at every key battle in in that period of time, as you found with Sharp, every engagement <laughs> be there. <laughs> so you either have to be very unlucky or cursed by, by, some, by some fate. Well, is it because of sort of Viking Forest Gump? Yeah, so he's basically at every major event of that sort of period of time. And basically, he has been dispossessed from his lands in the north, in Northumbria. Well, it's now Bamburgh Castle, but in that days it's called Babenberg. And he basically, it's this is the last season where basically he's been fighting down south with the Saxons. He was born a Saxon, but he has adopted, but he was adopted as a child by a local Danish Viking family um, who settled in this country in Britain. And so he basically adopted sort of, they call them the Danes, the sort of Danish ways. Um, Norse ways. He sort of follows the North gods. He has like a Thor's hammer around his neck and things like that. And he's a, a pagan. But and he but he has fought alongside the Saxons for most of his adult life. Yeah. And this comes to the point where basically they're all pushing north. They uh he's basically trying to re-establish his place in the world where there's been this conflict between Saxons and Dana all basically now comes to a head in this final season that they're going to film. The books mm. carry on for another 20 odd years in his life, but they've decided to draw all those last books into this last big confrontation. So you see all these sort of pieces being moved into place where basically Uhtred finally ever achieves his destiny. Yeah. So there's you know, sort of violence, there's tragedy, there's, um, conflict of every possible sort all done with a sort of bit of a you know sort of swash and a buckle and swords are plenty and buckets of claret from what i hear yes it is <laughs> it's, it's quite violent there's a, there's a, a few battle scenes in it involving danes versus saxons and there's a couple of characters who are just basically off their tree so they go around killing people in the most ghastly ways and then there's a couple of others who um are very not very nice so obviously they get slaughtered in the most imaginative ways oh yeah yeah yeah. that happens to not very nice people and um and then yeah the, but there's like a few of the good guys die because you have to have some sacrifices but no one really that important um so but it is it sort of just draws together to this sort of conclusion to these series there is going to be like a final final film apparently just to our last farewell to Uhtred and his band of... Just to eke out a couple more dollars from something before we let it go out to pasture <laughs> for another that, 10 years before we reboot it. I think if, you are, if you'd like that sort of um, Vikings-y... Um, I'm trying to think what other... Sort of loosely based on history, 
but but they try to make it look a bit more authentic than it is. So mm -hmm. but you know how they do, they like to set the to view of it like a, you know, no, this is real history, so it's gonna be really grimy. But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's actually just as dressed up as a completely complete work of fiction. So yeah. if you'd like that sort of thing, then it's, it's a bit of a romp. I mean, it's not very deep thinking. It's probably doesn't go into any of the, it's always, it's, there's a, some of the, the, the Christians are a little bit naive and so they get slaughtered by their thousands. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, oh, you know, we quite like the pagans. They're quite nice really. When <laughs> And so it tends to have its own sort of biases. And yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes it's sort of, when you look at it, you'd think that the, the Vikings basically, one <laughs> when in fact it's only like a generation later that the normans came in and swept them all away so yeah. like, but, like, but 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 the, but the vikings were sexier so so they've got longer hair and they've got nicer hair uh, basically <clears throat> they wear more leather um so. <laughs> so okay so so this is a show that in my head in my head and I, I may be wrong about this it's a show that i feel started in the wake of game of thrones now, when yeah. Game of Thrones came out and became this big thing, then all of a sudden you had Vikings pop up and then you had The Last Kingdom pop up and they were all varying levels of Game of Thrones in inflected or inspired yeah. or or it, it paved the way for them to come out. So has does this happen to stand out as its own thing or does it just feel like, you know, or facsimile or something else? I think if you if give it five years and you look back on it, they'd all probably merge into one very much. It's like <laughs> historical drama with sort of buff blokes and, you know, willing women. Um, and that's basically how you'd probably remember it. Um, so, but I think it's, it's the production values are certainly good. Maybe they try hard, they don't work well. I mean, some of the villains you think, oh, for goodness sake, just kill them already. And so <laughs> they managed to escape every sort of, trap or every battle they just happen to get away with the nick of their and it's just like oh just kill them as long as jeffrey dean morgan doesn't show up with a baseball bat yeah <laughs> so i think it's it's it is what it is i think it's never going to be high art but it is it does look nice and it's it's a world was away uh, an hour or two i found it almost impossible to binge watch it i have to say <laughs> i had i did watch two episodes back to back and then i'd be like you know what i just i just can't watch anymore because it was not, it was good, but you think, I just can't, I just can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah. So I would say it would never be anything more than a three. It's entertaining, uh, I think, but it does what it says on the tin. It's fit blokes fighting other fit blokes, nice hair, um, you know, really cleverly crafted leather goods so that it just shows <laughs> just so. And so it's all very, it's very conscious, self-consciously, you know, I so, can. So, okay, subconsciously, I can. So, three stars for the Last Kingdom, yeah. which had, which is not going to be the last of. It's not going to be the last Last Kingdom. There's going to be at least a film doing the Peaky Blinders thing. But anyway, which, by the way, okay, yeah, Peaky Blinders. Everybody keeps yelling about that. Sharon, I know you were watching Peaky Blinders. Are you following the final season? No, I was waiting for them all to be aired so that I would probably watch it, not as a binge watch, but I'd watch a couple of episodes at a time. So, um, you're never, so you're never stuck at that bit where you're like, what? No, I want to know what's happening next. No, I, because I watched, actually, I because I didn't come to it when it was first aired. I came to it as a box set almost when I watched seasons one and two. Yeah. And then I really got into it after watching seasons one and two. But I'd recorded it on my Skybox and then I had it on the Skybox for over a year. 
And then I suddenly thought, you know what, I'm going to sit down and watch some of my old things. And then I started watching Peaky Blinders then. I thought, this is actually fantastic. <laughs> so then watched it solidly. But so this, where there's been such a big gap, I haven't really felt the, the desire to sort of run in and jump into it. So I thought I was going to wait until it all aired and then, you know, watch season, the last season. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about the big gap, that's a bit, a bit of the reason why I'm kind of shocked that I haven't watched any of The Witcher Season 2. And I haven't started watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Season 4 either. I'm like, they're there. I'm, I know they're there, but I haven't clicked play on them yet. And I'm like, what is going on? There's something weird and psychological happening with streaming, which I will figure out at some point along with my misanthropy base towards Jared Leto. But <laughs> I think the we've with streaming though has becomes a bit of a norm because I think we're all we all of that generation where we've gone from physically having to buy the DVDs to then yeah. some streaming taking over. And because it's got such a wealth of stuff on it, um you tend to be a bit more casual about watching stuff. I mean I remember as soon as like a box set came out I'd be like, Yeah, we've got to get the box set. And yeah. I would rent I rented DVDs off of Love Film initially where you'd get sent a disc a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it'd be like, yeah, come on, I can't wait for the next disc. As soon as you posted one back, you were waiting for the next one. Yeah. And then you'd hated it if they suddenly sent you a, a film title off the bottom of your list because they had none of your was <laughs> available. Oh, I remember and that. Now that we've got streaming, it's there. I've become much more casual about watching anything. I'm like, you know what? It'll be there in a month <laughs> or two. It'll be there. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Even though every now and then um, that does happen. Oh, ooh, that, ooh. Ooh, the th- ooh, ooh, yeah. Because the thing I was going to talk about on Netflix, which yeah, I'll talk about it. That that actually that actually was going to be taken off a week after I watched it, and I had it on my list for like three years. And they were like, "This is going to go soon." I was like, "Fine, I'll watch it." So, <laughs> all right, okay. So now now we go over to Holly and Holly, what you saw at home this week, and this is an Oscar winner, no doubt, an actual Oscar winner. Well, I have to say, you seem to have a bit of a Jessica Chastain love in this week. Yeah, slightly bizarre, I know, but yeah, watched it. So this was The Eyes of Tammy Faye, though last night I did watch the 355 as well, mm-hmm. which I know has already been reviewed. I have to say it was a wonderful cast, but a bit meh. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think, I, think um, I reviewed that, and my, my summary was like, it's someone that's taken an 80s action film that stars Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that and replaced Arnold Schwarzenegger with, instead of a, the lone wolf man fighting thing, there's a sisterhood. But essentially every single beat that you have in there, that you have in an 80s Arnold Schwarzenegger movie is in this film. It could have been made in the 80s. The only difference is that it's, it's female focused. And, and I was like, maybe it's a good thing that now we're getting mediocre films that are being made with female cast because, hey, we've been having mediocre films being made with a male lead for ages. But yeah, yeah, but it sounds like I I agree with you totally. Yeah, and I did feel that it's a it's a good reminder that a good cast does not automatically make a good film. And see the postcard killings. That's <laughs> absolutely. I'll add it to the long list of things that I forget. A great cast, and then just go. Oh, that's a poor. Yeah, just don't bother. Uh, so yes, I watched the um, the Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is a. Um, autobiography not the right word of um biography it's not that's not the right word either i've lost my vocabulary biopic thank you it is the story of uh the televangelist um tammy faye baker uh and along with her husband jim baker Uh, and this was on disney plus it was on disney plus 
And uh, Tammy Faye is played by Jessica Chastain, and her husband Jim is played by Andrew Garfield. It's a. It begins at the when Tammy Faye is a is a child and has a rather difficult relationship with her mother, as her she is the child of her mother from her first marriage, and they come from a rather religious community, and divorce is bad. Mm. And the mother feels that the presence of Tammy Faye in public uh, provides a reminder of her, you know, her failed first marriage. Her sinful past. Yes, exactly. And decidedly a sinful past. But um, Tammy Faye takes herself off to church and appears to um, collapse and start speaking in tongues, at which point the people in the church are simply delighted at her presence because... (laughs) Uh, who doesn't love an eight-year-old speaking in tongues? It's never entirely clear to me whether or not this was, in regards to one's sort of views on religion, whether or not this was a real religious experience for her, or just she thought, you know what, I'd actually quite like people to like me. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Um, but she is a, a talented singer and enthusiastic, you know, dedicated, dedicated Christian. Yeah. Um, who's a really big fan of puppets, slightly bizarrely. Um, it was not something else, but I didn't know anything about her beforehand. Yeah. So uh, it was um, a, a little, so I was a little bit surprised by the puppets. And she goes. So, so far, so it sounds like so far I'm identifying hard with this woman. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So so off she goes to. Uh, sorry, hang on, sorry, Sharon, what was that? I think I've been to that church. <laughs> yes. it was Speaking quite, of tongues, check. Puppets, check. People fall yeah. on the floor, check. Uh, Good singing. It was, it was uh, the, the puppets that I think they may, they may appear later on, but puppets made out of those sort of bubble bath bottles with um, where you have the head, you have heads of characters on the lid. And this one was a sort of Percy Pig-esque one that she okay. turned into a, into a, puppet Australian I mean it, it's when, when one thinks about it like that it is a little bit creepy okay cool. uh, but so she heads off to as, as a you know, young adult te- late in her late teens heads off to Bible college where she meets the delightful charismatic uh, Jim Baker in my head I should add the surname should be pronounced Baker because it's B-A-K-K-E-R oh no no it, it's, it's the Dutch it's, it's the Dutch spelling and the Dutch actually pronounce it Baker Ah, yeah. Uh, see, yeah. see, Theomo de Baker. I, mean, I know that's because of the the Dutch tennis player Theomo de Baker, and they actually do pronounce B K B A K K E R Baker. I am I am instructed. Yeah, with with more of a Dutch accent than I did, of course. But <laughs> yeah, minor details. They certainly don't apply any sort of Dutch accent in this. Mm. Um, so they they meet at, at Bible school. They fall in love. Or at least the um, Dutch Americans do. Sorry. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of quoting of uh, biblical verses at each other. There's quite a lot of song of songs in there, sounding a little bit racy. <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, well, I'll just have to say, Song of Songs is the book that you do not expect to find in the Bible. You really don't. <laughs> and there's, so there's a bit of back and forth, and in, you know, whilst in church with the the um, pastor looking on in horror at this sort of interchange as they proceeded to, you know, quote, you know, line and, you know, line and verse, exactly, you know, 
Dorchester's book and there's yeah. exactly what, uh, you know, from, you know, different points. Of, like, there's quite a lot of sort of back and forth with Bible verses at random. Yeah, it's, it's the closest you're going to get to a sex scene in a church. Exactly. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was somewhat, you know, bizarre. It turned out that, that Jim had, had found his, his way to faith through and uh, wishing to be a pastor through, you know, okay. earlier life um, right, so, so no wanting to no one to give like the entire synopsis of the film. Yes. So, so we know that at some point Jim and Tammy get together. They do. Jim and Tammy they get together, they get together and they leave Bible school uh, because you cannot be there and be married to each other. I didn't get to the bottom of that. I don't think it's terribly important, but it's a thing. And off <laughs> I, they I get. Could, to... I can tell you some stories. <laughs> it's a, the world is a fascinating place. So off they go to her mother and stepfather uh, because they have no money and they've just been kicked out. And this is where the, the true puppet creation begins. And they feel very strongly that it is their it is their mission to to preach and to bring the word of God to to people to the world. Yeah, and um, so so if if I may if I may yes. if I could if I could jump forward a bit. So we know yes, that they so end up becoming... they become rather successful televangelists. Evangelists with, and this is all very sort of publicly known. Obviously, they are hugely successful, uh, loved, appreciated, fated, um, global success. But low, with you know, beautiful houses and fur coats and all sorts of things, which seems to be the nature of you know this branch of televangelism in the US. In the eighties, it was yeah heavily eighties. You know, fur coated televangelists with puppets made out of the heads of bubble bath bottles but <laughs> each their own and low tragedy falls um and they they find themselves in in disgrace now the film makes suggests that tammy is innocent of all of this whereas reality yeah. might be who knows about reality i certainly don't yeah um but it's it's the her experience as becoming this you know larger than life figure with Big hair and big makeup, and fight. It's a re- it's a, it's something of a redemption story. All right. Okay. So with this, okay. So with this, obviously, this film won Jessica Chastain. Finally, won her her best actress Oscar. Yeah. So obviously, I feel like she is the main thing. It's called the film's called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. She is the main reason to watch this. She is. In the run up to the film being released, they were um they were. You could see time lapses and stuff of her online getting ready and getting all the makeup done up. In the trailer, she is damn near unrecognizable because it looks as if someone has stuck a doll's head on her body. So, so, so with all this, I, 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 this is a film that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think everything that you've said and everything like that is, yeah, 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 whatever. We're here to see Jessica Chastain do over-the-top 80s televangelist stuff. Does that is that a big enough draw? That it certainly should be, but it adds more layers, more complexity. She is, su- I mean, she's a superb actress, actor, mm-hmm. um, and Andrew Garfield plays his part to a T as well. It's um, and it's it's a it's a rewarding film because I mean, she's known to be a, a thoroughly you know loving, open human being who believes that. God loves everybody, and nobody, you know, it's nobody's place to judge, and one should reach out to the entire world. And it's a, it's a delight to see this, these somewhat overblown, 
characters, larger than life characters who were clearly larger than life. I really enjoyed watching it. Oh, good stuff. I, I thought stuff. it was superb. Um, my favourite film ever? No, but that's because uh, there are a lot of films I really, really like. But this was, she absolutely deserved her Oscar for it. Oh, okay, good. So yeah. how many stars would you give the film? Okay, oh, okay. I... Let's, let, let's split this up. How many stars would you give her performance and how many stars would you give the film? Performance, five. Film, probably four. So oh. I would probably balance it out at about a four and a half. Okay. Um, it, was another, it was another great cast. Yeah. Um, but as we've already discussed, a great cast does not necessarily a great film make. Yeah. But in this case, they were, it was just a really good watch. And I, I found it insightful. I found it interesting. I knew very little about televangelism prior to this. And it was, yeah, it was, it was insightful. I don't feel I need to spend a great deal of time with televangelists after this, um, if they're all like that. But there's you know, channels. Well, there's about multiple channels of them. Yes, yes, like God, God TV and all that. But I think in particular because the '80s, that was the rise of televangelism. Yeah, yeah. And th this film, it has a very kind of like you know, you know, there's a certain subgenre of film which is the American dream or the rise and the fall of the American dream. Yes. And this film looked to me like it is the rise and fall of the American dream in televangelism, because okay, because Sharon and I are both Christians. We have both been in churches like that and church services like that. We've both experienced that kind of stuff. And uh, as I should have I in my in my youth as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the thing is, what gets me about it is that sometimes there's this there is this tendency within churches to try and pretend as if everything we do is kind of like on another level and it's just oh so holy and it's all and i'm like no this is essentially it's the american dream it's what happens out there it's the same um it's the same uh what's the word the same scandals the same things because it's human beings and because it's human beings the same stuff is going to happen so stop trying to act as if we're some higher level of being yeah, the, and, and none of this stuff... Uh, 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 so I feel like this is like the American dream, but just showing how the American dream affects even televangelism. So it's not really about God. It's really about capitalism. Yes, very, very much so. Capitalism with puppets made out of bubble bubble heads. I just, I can't let that go. It won't, I'm going to carry that with me forever. But All it, right. But it's, yeah, great. I do remember when this hit in the 80s, I was of, of an age then, I was in church, and I remember going to a, a seminar at Greenbelt, which is a Christian festival in the 1980s, where they talked about this particular scandal, even though we're in Britain, it's sort of rippled over. Oh, and so oh, oh, you mean the Tammy Faye Baker thing? You actually, you actually, you yeah. remember that when it happened? Yeah, when Jimmy, but yeah, when Jim Backer and all that, Baker, sorry, um, when that all hit. <laughs> And I remember reading afterwards that one of the first people to go and actually visit them after this scandal hit was Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah. To offer them counselling and to pray with them and to say, you know, that, you know, traditionally the, the church has been the first army in the world to shoot its own wounded. And he was like, no, you know what, you're wounded, but I'm going to come alongside you. So I, I remember that quite distinctly from that, that, that time as well. So I'd be interested to check that out. I had no idea that that this was about that when they said Tammy Faye I was thinking is it country music <laughs> <laughs> that would be my thought as well I mean it's got to be country music hasn't it 
I'm much more interested in seeing that now. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely watch it and I'd love to hear your thoughts about it once you've seen it as well. Yeah, oh, really insightful. I mean both of your views because they'll you know, from you know, you know, active churchgoers seeing all right, cool. So that's what we're going to do. So, okay, we're going to have Group Watch, Group Watch, Disney Plus, Eyes of Tammy Faye. There's also a documentary also called Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I've been trying to track down because I actually want to see what the real woman was like. Um, but, uh, all right, cool. So Eyes of Tammy Faye, four stars for Eyes of Tammy Faye, where the deserved Oscar for Jessica Chastain. Uh, I should add that, the, um, that Tammy Faye's daughter was initially against the film, but came on board and actually built up her um, the daughter and son built up a very close relationship with Jessica Chastain. Oh, yeah. The daughter uh, performs a song that features in the um, end credits. All right. You see, now that that worries me slightly because it means like maybe it could have been a bit of a watered down portrayal. But we'll we'll Thanks, see. That, it, that, that's, 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 it's one of the reasons why I want to see the I want to see the documentary because it's oh, no. because I know that there's always this question that has been around her of how complicit was she? Was she playing the sort of airheaded this ditzy oh I don't know anything Jim sorts out all the finances <laughs> wife or was she actually in there with him the whole time but it's um but anyway but it it's funny how often it ends up being tax fraud or something financial with churches it is it just keeps happening over and over again because apparently we're we're a higher level of human so therefore none of these things can happen but anyway <laughs> never mind I will I will stop whinging about my own pers personal niche pet hates and we will go on to the final film this week which is a film called curtis so curtis with um, with a z so spelled c-u-r-t-i-z and this is a film about michael curtis you might recognize the name as a film buff because he was the director of casablanca along with a whole bunch of other things so essentially i actually started looking at his filmography and the films he made this guy was like the spielberg of his day he was like he is oh, essentially if you look at what we have what we have um in film wise and hollywood and everything like that i think he created a lot of it and uh this is set during the making of casablanca and it kicks off and you know that you're he's on the set of casablanca they're trying to figure out the script of it but as they're trying to do this this is obviously in the midst of world war ii kicking off and people and then you have somebody coming in from the um from the american government and saying that, okay, this is what we need to do. We're going to commandeer this film. And we're going to, we need to make this film part of the war effort. And it's about him fighting against the Hollywood system that's trying to turn his film into a propaganda movie. And he's like, that's not what it is. We're actually trying to make a piece of art. And at the same time, he is not particularly a saint. Because you meet him and you find that he has he has a wife and he has a son. And But when you meet him, he is doing what Hollywood men do with a casting couch in their offices. <laughs> Pretty much in the first scene that happens. And a mysterious woman shows up because he is Hungarian. He is Hungarian. He was a Hungarian immigrant into America. He wasn't American. So there's bits of the film that are actually in Hungary. This was actually a Hungarian film. So it was it was made by a Swiss Hungarian filmmaker who wanted to talk about Michael Curtis being this uh, like being a figure of of Hungarian history that maybe doesn't probably doesn't get talk, spoken about because I'd seen the name, never realized the guy was Hungarian, and it's about 
how at the same time as he's trying to make a film, he's being accused by the American government of, oh, maybe you're a commie, or all these different sort of things going in. And then there's a woman who shows up who is part of his past, this past in Hungary, where he still has family, and he's trying to get family out of, people are trying to get him to get family out of Hungary before the war hits them really, really badly and all that, which ends up being a lot more timely now, watching it nowadays, than you can imagine when the film was made a couple of years back. And I really enjoyed this. The, this entire film, it's shot in black and white, almost like in a homage to Casablanca itself. It's shot in black and white. There are some absolutely spot-on lighting bits. There's this bit in an air hanger where somebody walks in with a shadow. And I'm just looking and going, oh, that's a great shot. That is an amazing shot. Look, oh, how long did it take them to get that shadow just right? And it is, and it's a film that I love. Films that show that set in the golden age of Hollywood, things like Hail Caesar or anything like that. I love those films that show you a Hollywood that no longer exists. Um, even the TV show Hollywood, which I had serious issues with because Ryan Murphy did his Ryan Murphy thing. Or even that, the fact that it should, and and I think I love the fact that this did it and the style of the film. They are, it does the whole thing where a bit like Belfast, where it's mostly in black and white, but there's splashes of color every now and then, and the way it uses color, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And you go through the different ways of how they made, how they wrote Casablanca, how they went about it, and how his personal life was kind of like how this film affected his personal life and how it sort of fed into it. As a character study of somebody who I did not know anything about, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant, and unfortunately, it's no longer on Netflix, because as I said, when I watched it, it was kind of like, Netflix are going, this is going in two weeks, and I was like, okay, fine, I've had it on my list for ages. I didn't actually, because I think it came around about the same time as Mank. Mank, the David Fincher film on Netflix with Gary Oldman playing the writer of Citizen Kane. And so I thought, I, I think I got this too confused and I thought they were around about the same thing. I didn't realize this was Hungarian. I didn't realize, but I thought it was a brilliant film. I'll give it a four out of five. So I don't know where it's gone to. If you want to get onto justwatch.com and find where Curtis is or find it, I can fully, fully recommend tracking down Curtis and watching it because it is great film, great performances. It helps that I recognize nobody in the film <laughs> because then I could just buy them as who they were. And yeah, so I would I would recommend Curtis um, for for five. So uh, not that I give a spoiler for this or anything, but we get to the part of the show where we try and figure out who has won this week. Has it been cinema or has it been Netflix and Friends? What do you guys think? Think it's Netflix and Friends. <laughs> Staying at home one this week because, well, because cinema, Morbius, damn you, couldn't even get, couldn't even get us up our bumps, couldn't even get us up our bumps to go to the cinema to watch anything. So, um, with that being said, until next week when uh, we might watch the Eyes of Tammy Faye and give Holly give you a report back. Excellent. On what happened on, on what we thought of Eyes of Tammy Faye and. We might might go see the secrets of Dumbledore, even though I am so over the Harry Potter thing. <laughs> I have... It's got to be done though, just for closure and completeness. No, but there's two more films coming after this. Oh, this is... yes! The, don't you know the, the Fantastic Beast films? When they announced them, they were going to make five films. Oh, that's excessive. 
Yeah, exactly. I thought it was excessive then, but I thought, okay, let's see the first one. First one was charming enough. Second one was an absolute car crash. I'm sorry, but it was. Yes, it, yeah, it ridiculous. It was. It was absolute car crash, and it has made me just. I, I'm, I'm just thinking it's no because if you're gonna call these films Fantastic Beasts and where to, and this has been my argument from the first film, if you're gonna call this film Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, make it about the Fantastic Beasts. I yes. would. I would much rather watch Eddie Redmayne walking around doing his Dr. Doolittle thing with magical creatures than give you give you a, pretty much a rehash of the Voldemort story, only that this time the big bad guy is called Grindelwald. I would much... <laughs> I'd, I'd, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm doing yeah. it again. I'm, I'm reviewing a film before I've watched it. But... <laughs> I suspect I'm going to feel the same. I might even make myself take myself to see um, Morbius. I mean, I might... Got a couple of days off work. Yeah, I think. Uh, let me tell you what. If if I see Morbius in the cinema, then you can take that as full evidence that I have grown as a human being. <laughs> but I, I, I have faith in you. No, I I, I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't. I, I really don't think it's going to happen before next week. I don't think I'm going to grow that much before next week. <laughs> I did. I did consider as I was off today going and seeing it, but I had that as an option or sleeping and I decided I cared more about sleeping <laughs> no no yeah, yeah. I, I, I was you know, I had a similar thing I was thinking about finishing watching the dropout on Disney plus which is brilliant and it could actually be when we're talking about this whole thing about things being about capitalism and the rise and fall of the American dream it would because there's a lot of shows being made about that like inventing Anna we crashed the dropout and I think um, I would throw the Fire Festival documentary in there as well. And I think the dropout so far, I can't talk about it because it's, it's been fascinating. It's been seven episodes. I have to watch the eighth one to finish it off. And But I'm pretty sure, pretty sure I'm going to be talking about that next week. But it is, if you can, catch that. That is seven episodes in. And it's so good that I'm like, there's no way they can mess this up in the eighth. They cannot mess this up in the eighth. All right, cool. Until next week, when um, some combination of all those things will happen, um, and please do go online, give us a review on uh, iTunes or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. But until next week, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>